Hello, everybody. Welcome to the mailbag. It's that time for Andy Brassel to sit opposite me, because we're in the studio today, to discuss and damn right answer your questions about football. Andy, how are you feeling? Yeah, I feel great. There's a little bit of extra space in the studio. Mm-hmm. N- normally, we have three for a ramble, don't we? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this is brilliant. It feels like we're like a father and son from a rich family of industrialists mm-hmm. who are sitting, having dinner in our castle at either end of a very long table. And you're going to ask me in a minute to pass the salt, boy. Let's be and honest. I have to like flick it 20 yards up the table andy let's be honest i'm the son here because i'd be like oh can you tell me about this player or what's happening on you know give me a wisdom speak when you are spoken to boy (laughs) (laughs) all right well let the industry begin then let's start with a question from tom who says i know the season has not long started but will napoli and inter keep up the pressure on juventus this season strong starts by both and has pirlo impressed so far andy what do you think can we get a proper title race in Italy this season. I really hope so, Marcus, and I really hope so, Tom, because uh, it's, it's something that the Italian game needs, I think. And it's interesting because with the coming of Pirlo, it's, this is no knock on him, but the circumstances under which he was appointed, they just sort of exposed Juventus a little bit, really, because this is a club who, throughout this title-winning run, mm-hmm has had everything under control, everything. Been so far ahead of everyone else in terms of um, organisation, recruitment. Obviously, in the latter years, since the stadium started to really produce for them wages. But things have changed there. And obviously, things changed so much when they took the plunge and took on Cristiano Ronaldo because it put them under enormous financial pressure. They've been trying to shared wages left, right and centre to balance the the books ever since. And they've got an enormous wage bill. Um, Obviously, it didn't go great under Maurizio Sarri. And whereas Sarri going wasn't a surprise, the fact that you appoint a guy as head coach of the kids and then a week later you appoint him as head coach of the first team. (laughs) Of the men. it, It goes against everything that Juventus have been about in this spell, this idea of planning and control. So I think that's what makes people think there is an opportunity. Um, In these early weeks, Pirlo, we've got a very small sample size so Mm -hmm. far, and they've, on the first day of the season, um, they beat, and let's be honest, absolutely hopeless Sampdoria (laughs) at the time who then Claudio Ranieri and um, Ferrero and the team went and spent on extra players because it was clear that mm. well, not even the though, yeah, exactly. Even though they were losing to Juventus, if that was going to be the rest of their season, they were in for a long, hard season of tunneling through shit, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, even though there, there were there were bits of that that were really brilliant and the fact that Aaron Ramsey had one of his best games mm-hmm. and, you know, off the top of your head, you wouldn't think Ramsey is necessarily a a, a Pirlo player, would you? But no. in fact, what Pirlo has done is he's really surprised so far, I think. But when you because... say he's not a Pirlo player, we haven't had Pirlo managing that long to get a style. I mean, we remember exactly. A player. That's what I'm talking about. The assumption of what sort of coach 
PLO would be. Mm-hmm. And it is a big assumption mm-hmm. because we're assuming, oh, it's all going to be about art and elegance. Mm-hmm. But actually, in one of his early press conferences, um, just before the start of the season, he said, I've been watching I, Burnley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rory Delap's son, does he do long throws as well? <laughs> I could be interested. And he said, I, I want to bring back the Juventus DNA. And for him, the Juventus DNA is Conte, is Allegri, mm. is win any way that we have to. I was going to say, they it's don't... not a, necessarily about pretty football. They're more of a pragmatic kind of side, you would say. Exactly. And if he does turn out to be that pr- pragmatic sort of coach, well, if he does it well, obviously, it's not great news for the title race. But then again, they got a real working over in their second game of the season. Roma, who are still very much under construction, should have beaten them mm-hmm. at the Olimpico and they missed some really good chances to, to do that. So on the... The, the samples we've had, and it's not been a, a great deal so far. It's hard to make any real judgments, and mm-hmm. it, it will be difficult to make those judgments for a while yet, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's a, a little a little bit of vulnerability, mm-hmm. but he has shown a, a commitment and a desire to go and, and grind out results. As far as Inter go for challenges, I'm not convinced that's something they can do. Mm-hmm. Now, Presumably, Conte has, has, has seen that as some sort of something that they lack a little bit. You look at the players he's gone out and bought, and of course, Ashraf Hakimi is a huge upgrade on Kandreva. You have to go get him. Mm. But you look at, he's kind of atypical of the sort of players that they've signed in recent times. And you look at the fact that he's quite inclined to the veterans since he's been at Inter mm-hmm. as well. And even more so now, you know, you look at the fact they've signed Alex Kolarov, mm-hmm. Arturo Vidal, who's yeah. been pissing people off already, <laughs> which is uh, very on brand for, for, oh, for him. But I'm not quite sure I believe in their ability to to grind out games. Defensively, there are a few questions, which will be absolutely driving content nuts. Um, so, but do you think they're the Juventus' main challenges this season, Inter? Yeah, I, I think we have to have a word as well for... I, I know... Tom wants to come back to Napoli, so we'll come back to Napoli. I say don't completely rule out Milan, actually. Really? Milan are interesting. Milan finished last season absolutely brilliantly. You've got Ibra in, well, not the form of his life, but absolutely terrific form. People thought he would just be a totem when he came back to Milan Mm -hmm. Um, and, and some sort of guidance for the younger players, which is something he's very good at and we've talked about on the show before that is is an underrated part of the Zlatan armory um but then you look at the other players like um Ben has been been great since he's 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 come in um they've signed Sandro Tonali uh Frank Kessie's uh, gone from strength to strength Romagnoli's leading the defense it feels like they're really coached really well coached and getting better but in terms of the title though Andy I think it's not to be ruled out. We we, we don't know how we don't know how how Juventus are going to turn out. I understand. And, uh, Juventus are Milan really... have been relentlessly consistent in in recent months, which I, I think is I think is really interesting. I want to believe you. I really do. You know, I have affection for AC Milan, but but this Juventus. I understand Pirlo is fairly untested. Yeah, he's very untested. And so we can sort of think, oh, hang on. But it's still Juventus. You know, they've, they've got such a good structure. They've got such Absolutely. a good side. Absolutely. That, that cliche, which I tend not to kind of 
go for when, oh, you know, anyone could manage them to the title. Mm. I mean, oh, come on, you know, I, you've still got to manage those players and it can still go wrong. But if it did go wrong, they would get someone else in and they would get them over the line. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. Milan are an outside shot. There's no doubt about that. So who are the main contenders? Would you say Inter then? The, the, yeah, the main contenders are Inter. But I think, say, when Napoli were thrown in the picture um, by Tom, and I, I think it's reasonable to ask, you know, they've gone, they've kept Koulibaly, mm-hmm. they've gone all in on getting Victor Ozyman. They've and kept uh, Gattuso as well. Him. Is that a problem? <laughs> That's a very good thing. Yeah. That's a very I love the good man. Thing. How can you not? And he's such an underrated coach. Mm. Such an underrated coach. Well, because again, we're making assumptions on his playing style, although we have seen him as a manager previously. Uh, in in other jobs, you think of when he was in Milan. I think the short term. Was... Yeah, let's forget the Greece bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But well, well, think... like like Claudio Ranieri. Uh, and Milan, he he did a really good job, mm. and it was a job that showed itself up to be a really good job. Yeah. Once they got rid of him, it, you know, it became even more clear. And the fact that he took over Napoli last season when Ancelotti had gone, mm-hmm. when it was a toxic environment, mm-hmm. when the the squad were in rebellion and arguing with the board. They won the cup, though, and yeah, that's the point. He yeah. got them. To, he got them to win the cup, and he's got them to mm-hmm. start rebuilding the team. And they've given him another contract for a reason. He's he's an incredibly underrated coach, I think. Gattuso. It's not just fire and brimstone. Of, of course, he's a, he's he's a, he's a hard guy, but I think in terms of uh, tactical intelligence, mm-hmm. in terms of relating to players, he's totally underrated. And I think his commitment, which is something obviously since he was a player that's never really been in doubt, he was, when they were trying to get the numbers to work to sign Victor Ozyman from, from Lille, he said, I'll tell you what, shave a bit off my wages if, if, that'll, if that'll make it right. What coach does that? Mm. What coach does that? That's incredible. And I still think there's a pulling power with him because of his mm. name as well. He's, he's brought in Tamure Bakayoko, who... I know Chelsea fans yep. don't think much of him, but he, he had a really good time at, at Milan and there's that connection there with, with Gattuso. So he's, he's, he's come as well. I, th- I think they could be interesting, but I, I think even Milan might finish above Napoli. I'm, 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 Ooh, I'm, that's I'm, a big shell. I'm big on them. But if, if they finish top four after what they've been through over the last couple of years, That'd especially off the pitch, it would be a great season for it me. It would, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, hopefully there's a title race, but we think it will probably come from Inter, but you know, that's probably not news. Until they cock it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's the Conte factor there, I think. Surely he would, just through sheer will, would try and get them over the line. Don't, but anyway. we, don't we want to see him go, go a bit mad along the way there? No, well, he will do, Andy. No matter yeah. what we want, that will happen. <laughs> Even if it's going well. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to him and Gattuso uh, shouting at each other on the touchline. I think that's... Uh, who would you... In a fight, who would you back? You know, you know what. Hopefully, it won't come to that. We don't like violence, but just in a fancy realm, it, not it, that much of a fantasy. It obviously. would, it would be Gattuso, uh, oh, someone who I've long mooted for a Serie A job, yeah. uh, who's a very successful Serie A player. Mm-hmm. I thought that if Filippo Inzaghi, um, sorry, Simone Inzaghi, mm-hmm. too many Inzaghi's in the top flight at the moment. There's two, <laughs> too many. Uh, if if Simone Inzaghi moved on from Lazio, I said I think they should go and get Sergio Concisal from Porto. Mm. Now he's a fairly headstrong guy. I remember when they um when Porto played Roma in the uh, in 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 the Champions League, and on the touchline they they asked Sergio Concisal about it beforehand, and they said, "Well, it's kind of like a Rome derby for you, isn't it? You know, uh, playing Roma, you're a Lazio guy." And he's like, 
it's not important to me. Obviously, he was arguing on mm. the ed- edge of his technical yeah, area ten minutes into into the game with the, with the Roma bench. Mm-hmm. So you, you you think Gattuso would beat Conte to answer my question? Yes, but let's get Conte Sal in there. <laughs> let's go full celebrity weird, death match. Because when you mentioned when you mentioned two when two of those men are mentioned, I just think I can't see either of them losing. And look at that! It's an easy one for Ibrahimovic. It's two. And just as in February, Milan take a 2-0 lead. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, this giant in Milan's considerable pantheon of legends. Andy, Tyler is asking you this. Can Andy provide any insight into Palistri and Ahmed Diallo? I'm currently nursing my no Sancho hangover. Yes, the two new signings. Um, it's a long hangover, that. It is, yeah. Are we going Palistri or Palistri? Palestri. Palestri from uh, Penarol, of course, and Ahmed Diallo from Atlanta to Manchester United. Yes. And interesting to see, I suppose Manchester United traditionalists look at that and think, wide players, great. And you know, I can get on board with that. Yeah, it's get the ball out wide. Very much, very much part of Manchester United's traditional image. Um, Diallo has played very little first team football in um, in Italy. Because he's young. And what I think is really interesting is the fact that Atalanta, who are undoubtedly one of the top four in Italy now, you know, they're not imposters. Mm. They they are there mm-hmm. on merit. Three of the last four seasons. And then you look at the Champions League run last last year as well. They've, they've done brilliantly. They're also very well managed. And you look at the fact that what they've done and why they've done so well over the last couple of years is they've managed to hold on to the core of their players. Now, they've always had to sell in the past, but what they've done in terms of selling in 2020 is amazing because you look at Diallo and then you look at Dan Kuluzewski, who went on loan to Parma and did very well there and then was then sold to Juventus. So basically, this year, Atalanta have sold two players who've never really been in their first team for a combined, what, 70 million? But do you not think I that's... I mean, that's, that's an incredible effort. And also, of course, it attests to the fact that Atalanta produced some very, very good players. Yeah. Do you not think it's one of those ones where people think, Atalanta, oh, have you seen Atalanta? Oh, they're brilliant. They're really dynamic side and all that. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. And Manchester United have just heard this and gone, yeah, who's for sale? And they've gone, uh, okay, you can, you can buy him. And they go, oh, yeah, he's probably... They just haven't done the research, which in this day and age, with all the um, information you have at your fingertips, just smacks as ridiculous. Now that, you... that, wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. Although, people at the club absolutely love Diallo. Oh, I, no, of course. I, I mean, uh, Papu Gomez talked about him as doing messy-like things in training. Yeah, but, and they probably said to him, say this, because they'll bump the price up for another <laughs> five million. But uh, he, is, he is not crucial to that side, you would say. Nowhere near. Right. This is this is my point. Manchester United, when they sign an Atalanta player for that amount of money, could think, ah, we've got the guy who makes them tick, or we've got the guy who chips in with fifteen goals or twenty goals. I don't think they've. I don't think they've thought that. I've, I think they've thought he's he's one for the future. Okay. And um, bear in mind, Tim, Timothy Castagne wasn't a regular first eleven pick. wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't a, wouldn't have been in their best eleven. Last season, and they, think... like, they sold him to they sold him to Leicester for an absolute fortune. Well, I suppose so. so Maybe I'm being too harsh, Andy. So yeah, I, th- I think you know that 
We just don't know with Diallo, I think is, is, is the short answer. Palestri is an interesting one mm -hmm. because, I mean, I've never seen him play firsthand because he's never played in Europe. Mm. Um, he's apparently been very, very good for Peñarol. It looked all the way like he was going to Lyon. They were piecing together a deal for him for, for quite a long time. And um, in the end, Peñarol said at the last minute when it was just about to get signed, you know what, we'd prefer to let him go at the end of the calendar year when we're done with the Libertadores and Leon weren't happy with that Manchester United swooped in with a big offer and took him away having been looking at him for a while basically mm. the door opened a little bit and and they, they they took him away again one for the future because he's he's very slight mm -hmm. and I, th I think a lot of people have said well he's he's made a huge mistake choosing Manchester United in, in, instead of instead of Leon. I'm not really sure about that because the fact is... You of all people whether, should be sure about that. Yeah, I should. Whether whether he goes to United or whether he goes to Lyon, he's, he's going to have to find a way to deal with physical contact, which he doesn't really appear to have in his game yet. He's going to have to find a way to fill out. And to say that that's more the case at Manchester United than it is in France, it's just nonsense. Mm. So I don't think he would have been ready to come into the team straight away at, at Lyon, even though... They'd hoped to get him there quite quickly. Mm -hmm. So maybe you would have got in the first team more quickly. But maybe those teething problems would have been more pronounced. You know, maybe the fact that United can take their time with him mm -hmm. a little bit more is, is something positive that will work in their favour. Oh, Andy. Um, there's a question here that I'm desperate to ask you on behalf of DJ Chubby Bubble. Yes. Our favourite DJ friend. What's Andy Brassel's favourite brass instrument? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You know what? I think I would have to go for... That's not a brass instrument. I was just sort of doing bagpipes there. <laughs> it, it sounded actually like the instrument I'm going to say, but playing a, a tune that you traditionally hear on bagpipes. Yeah. I, I was going to say the French horn. Yeah. Because my, my dad was a very, very gifted French horn player. That's a more high-pitched so kind of horn sound, isn't that's, it? That's, that's why I've, I've, I've gone for that. Am I right to say it's a more high-pitched sound for a horn? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. It's the curly one. Yes. I well, thought also, you would have been also, an oboe. Is that one? That's woodwind, isn't it? Is it? Uh, yeah. Okay. I forget now. What's the difference between the two? But, but fam family reasons, isn't it more clarinet end of the market? Obo. Oh, you might be right. What's the one that goes? I like that one. <laughs> that's called <laughs> that, that, that's called the circus pipe, Marcus. <laughs> that's called Pete Donaldson soundball. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I think what what's wrong with it? Just a good old fashioned. What's the deep one? The big, the big, enormous one, which uh, like tuba. Tuba. I thought you'd have been a tuba type guy. You know, hearing you describe these items is like hearing me narrating anything by David Attenborough. Do you know what tune that is? Tell me. Uh, I've forgotten. I thought you were going to remind <laughs> me. Uh, Johnny Briggs. Johnny Briggs? Johnny Briggs? Remember yeah. Johnny Briggs? You should, you should probably try t Thomas Tank Engine. No. This is Patreon, my good man. They, they deserve the... What's that? Is that Thomas Tank Engine? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 of course it is. Thomas was sat in the yard. Oh, however Ringo sounds. Uh, not like that. Uh, are we ready to would, it, would it have been better if Keith Moon narrated it, in my opinion? Well, he's dead, Andy. You can't. 
Right, moving on. Uh, last question um, <laughs> from Fortis Leo. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, I've been playing through Pez. Yes, Pez with Naunt. And I must admit, I don't know much about their pedigree or future prospects. Well, it is in your hands, Fort. Uh, can Andy give his opinion on Naunt, please? Just to, just to clarify. Simple question. We're, we're talking with Pez pre-evolution um, pre soccer. Correct. Not them little sweet dispensers. Uh, Do you I, remember Pez sweet dispensers? Yeah, I'm going to assume it's the the computer game. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. Can you get Nont ones of them? You should be able to. I've been using Nont sweetie dispensers, and it got me thinking about Nont's future prospects. Like the stuff you can get in club shops these days. That is very true. On it, on it, honestly. I've I, been I've shagging with Nont condoms, and it got me thinking. <laughs> what about their future prospects? <laughs> can Andy give birth to an answer for me? Because he's not going to, because he's wearing the Johnnies, Andy. Exactly. Go on then, um, Nont, you naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> naughty condoms. Hey, I should be working for them. Yeah, so they're they're a very beloved club in France. Are they? And very passionately supported. Why are they're they beloved? They're considered one of the traditional clubs. Who who would you compare them to in England, or is there no France. comparison? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really sure there is. I would. A team who are quite liked, but are quite um, traditional. I would, I would Newcastle always... United, people quite like them. No, but they're more successful than Newcastle United. How much more successful? Well, they've, Oh, they dominated for a while, didn't they've, they? They've won the title twice in the last 25 years. Yeah, okay, that's so, not like Newcastle United. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a start. Liverpool. And those, those, okay. those sides that won the titles in 95 and 2001 are mm -hmm. absolutely beloved. The side in 95, did they get to the semi-final of the Champions League? Am I right in saying? Well, they certainly yeah. got far, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely not like Newcastle. No. So, um, but they wear stripes. Uh, oh, well, I remember. I always think of them wearing... There, there, is, there is a kit with a stripe on it, but they don't wear stripes. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Yellow and green. Yes. Yeah, I was... But I think... Do you know what? I think maybe that side back in the day, or I remember them seeing on one of their kits, it was yellow and green stripes. Yes, perhaps. yes. In the same way, if someone went, well, Barcelona wear checks. Yeah, exactly. They've, yeah. Been, they've been there before, but yeah. I, I don't know whether they should again. They have. Well, there's my but, opinion on not Fortis Slayer. Uh, best leave it to Andy now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been helpful. But I, I'm very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing is, well, they're, they're known for a, a great academy, like mm. Atalanta that we were talking about before, but yeah. even, even more so, because you look at some of the players that have, have, have come through there. Um, you look at, um, obviously, people will think more recently of, of Karen Burr, but... Deschamps, mm. Desai came through that academy. Not really, too shabby. Really, really terrific um, academy. And um, they they had a bit of a dip after last winning the title in 2001. They were relegated not, not that long afterwards. Um, since they've, they've come back up, it's, it's really strange. It's a little bit like St. Etienne, who are another club who are beloved by French football supporters mm -hmm. and the French sporting public in, in, in general, mm -hmm. but are nowhere near at their former means. And what they've really struggled with since coming up, especially for a side who really caught the imagination and, you know, a bit like Dortmund, the bright strip is, is, is a huge part of that. Oh, yeah. It's the fact that, that they can't score goals. You know the only point since they've come back into the top flight when they've been able to score goals. Mm hmm it's, it's when they had Emiliano Sala. Oh, yeah. The, so the, sad. The, the, late, the late, great Emiliano uh, Sala. And so sad. He, he really was great because it's, it's funny. You know when someone someone dies mm. and 
obviously people come out and go, oh, this is tragedy and um, really sorry for the loss. And you know, it's, it's nice that people say that. Mm-hmm. But when people in France came out and said that about Emiliano Sala mm-hmm. and people in the football community came out and said that about Emiliano Sala, they really meant it. Mm. Because he was a guy who was um, not just not just a really, really good player who mm-hmm. I think would have done fantastically well in the Premier League, but he really had to do the hard yards to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he turned up in, in France, learnt the language, integrated so well. He lived in a little village out, out, outside Nantes where he'd occasionally go and buy a cheeky pack of Gaulois from the, from the local mm-hmm. shop and get busted because <laughs> you can't hide anything in the village. Um, he was uh, someone who'd, who'd, who'd done the rounds. He'd um, been at Bordeaux before, but he'd been on loan at uh, uh, Angers and, and, and Caen. So he knew a lot of people and he had a lot of friends in the game. And for him to score a lot of goals for a club that really for the best part of a decade has struggled to score goals mm. was something absolutely fantastic. So. What what happened was something that absolutely knocked the club sideways. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was a whole murky financial side to it, but on a human level, yeah, yeah. it was something that people really struggled with. And um, Nico Palois, their centre-back, is, was his closest mate there. He you know, went to uh, Argentina. He went to Santa Fe for the funeral and was a, a pallbearer. And it, it was something that was tough for him to get over. And he's a real mm-hmm. sort of alpha dog of a football yeah, player yeah. you know so it was it was tough for him to to get over but he's he's still there leading the team and they've got some interesting players that that they can work with now under Christian Gorkov Johan's dad who's, mm-hmm. who's the coach he came out of like semi retirement to 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 be their coach and um the thing is because they've got this reputation of producing players they've got a kind of personality crisis at the moment mm-hmm. because uh stefan ziani who is the youth coach and christian gorkov have really fallen out because ziani has said well gorkov is not interested in any of my youth product mm-hmm. and that is quite a big thing to say at a club like Nantes that's got this tradition of producing players mm-hmm. But the reality is Gorkov does like to work with more experienced players. He mm-hmm. does like to work with guys where he knows what he's getting. And part of that is because by far his longest job was at Lorient, a smaller club um, in, in Brittany, where you have to cut your cloth according to what you've got. You're never going to get the best youth product, although they have produced a, a, a few players over the years. And you have to make do and mend a little bit. So... You know, he wants guys he can rely on. I think he's still in that mindset a little mm-hmm. bit. But interestingly, talking of centre-forwards, what can hopefully break the spell of them not scoring? Jean-Kevin Augustin, who had that weird spell at Leeds mm-hmm. where he was loaned by Leipzig, still the subject of some sort of legal action because Leipzig thought Leeds, once they were promoted, were obliged to pay 20-odd million to, to buy him. Anyway, he's been, he's been let free because neither Leipzig nor Leeds wanted him. He's got to, to none, and he's very much on the redemption tip. I mean, he, he's given a few interviews before joining there, saying, just after joining there, sorry, saying, um, yeah, well, you know, I've, I've not behaved the best. I've not been as professional as I could have been over the years, but this is a point where I have to get my head down and play. And he's got an enormous amount of talent. If they can get him to a decent level, then they could be pushing up towards 
the European places because mm. like a lot of leagues in France, the the French league is very unpredictable this season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at other players in that team, like Palois, like uh, Ludovic Blast, like uh, Marcus Coco, always nice to have Marcus oh, in yes. there. I, I think they could build something with the right centre forward. All right. Well, so um, uh, Fortis Leo should continue playing with Norton Pez is what you're saying. Yeah, well, you know, Get yourself a centre forward. That's what I'm saying, Fortis. <laughs> Lovely. All right. Well, uh, that concludes the mailbag this week. It's been a pleasure talking to you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for your questions. Um, uh, get them in on uh, on Discord, of course, on the mailbag thread. Uh, we'll be back next week, though, with another mailbag. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. See you soon. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creator Network.